0: Special original cast patron announcement. So, uh, I've made an adjustment to the uh, benefits you get for being a patron of the original cast over at patreoncom pod If you're a two-dollar or uh, balcony level patron, you get the original cast of the movies, and if you are a five-dollar patron or a orchestra level, you get uh, the original cast of the movies and you get the episodes a day earlier but now if you are a three dollar or mezzanine patron you get video of selected episodes we record every episode on zoom and will be for the foreseeable future and i have this video from that and so i've decided to start asking guests permission to publish the video we're going to do it hopefully with every episode of the original cast at the movies Uh, starting with this one that comes out on Saturday with Charlene Smith and James Finley talking about uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. And then going forward, hopefully we will have video. We'll certainly also have it for the evening primrose episode that comes, uh, in April. And after that, obviously case by case, I, I haven't told the guests that yet. Some of them are hearing about this right now for the first time, but, um, I really hope that uh, I'll be able to do it for all those, and for a lot of our regular episodes, too. Um, Most guests ask if there's going to be video, and I always say no. And now I'm thinking, yeah, let's do a little video for you mezzanine patrons. Let's get you something a little extra there for your money. And so uh, I hope you enjoy it. It'll start uh, with the episode this Saturday, like I said, with Charlene V. Smith and James Finley talking about funny thing happened on the way to the forum and then we will continue case by case so you should just if you are a three dollar mezzanine patron you should just see that in the feed automatically on saturday and um if you are a two dollar patron and thinking about maybe you could uh, you know you got that stimmy to toss a buck here to the original cast and keep this thing going that'd be so great and you get the video now you get to see what i look like when i record it's not great but you get to see it and, uh, you know, it's fun. We threw in some visual gags for this episode to, to try it out. Maybe we'll have some reoccurring visual things. I'm still playing around with the idea. I haven't edited a, uh, an episode yet, a regular episode yet that contains it, but we'll see what I can come up with. So uh, I hope you go over to patreon.com slash originalcastpod, become a patron at the $3 level. You get videos. Videos are fun. Everyone loves videos. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart... Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today has been seen on Broadway in Xanadu, Wicked, Secret Garden, but he's certainly known to a certain generation of people as the guy who beat Britney Spears during Star Search. It's Marty Thomas, everybody. Hi, hi, hi uh i encourage you to go and listen to marty on uh gay card revoked and hear all about his star search uh, specifically his linda edder stories which are fantastic but uh you can you can get that on that podcast because on this podcast we're here to talk about miss
1: saigon <laughs>
0: Saigon as you pointed out a hole in this show's uh oeuvre we've been doing the show for going on five years now and no one has ever asked to talk about Miss Saigon and I kind of can't believe it when you said it I went yeah that's right that's weird no one's brought up- we've done Les Mis four times no one's ever put up Miss Saigon
1: the two run so um train track to each other in my- oh my gosh yeah And uh, when when you sent me the list of shows that you had discussed so far and I went through it, I was just sure that I was going to write you and you were going to say, oh, yeah, I forgot we've done Miss Saigon 73 times. I forgot to write it down. (laughs) And uh, I was so happy when you said you hadn't, because it's such a a primo moment in my childhood.
0: Well, so that's a great place to start. How did Miss Saigon come into your life?
1: Miss Saigon. I mean, I I was a child actor, so Mm -hmm. I was working on Broadway when it uh, came to New York. And as it was um, starting to get attention and press, I was just really curious. And uh, a voice teacher at the time gave me the double cassette of Miss Saigon. And I immediately just uh, was enamored with it because at the time, it was the early 90s, these um, pop-style musicals Mm -hmm. were not a thing. Mm -hmm. And I, in 2021, I... Uh, would be hard pressed to call Miss Saigon a pop musical. <laughs> but it really was
0: when it came out. I yeah, it,
1: it was unlike anything yeah. I had heard up to that point. Um, you know, aside from things like you know Five Guys Named Mo and Miss uh, mm-hmm. Little Shop and things that had doo wop and R and B, but like real pop styling. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fascinated by it, and then I I got to see the original Broadway cast several times because they they had shows on nights when my show was dark i was doing the secret garden at the time and i was i had listened to the cast recording for so long and gotten so enamored with the story and you know in the day you would get the cassette or lay the cd and you would read through the show notes and the they would sort of describe in the uh in the liner notes they would describe what was happening in the show Mm -hmm. and so you could read along and kind of like imagine it in your head so for me it was like seeing the harry potter movie after i had read the novels you know? <laughs> um, so and i i just fell in love with the 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 way that they visually told the story on broadway it was many many years later that i didn't realize the cast recording i was listening to was not the broadway company
0: sure it was the london company Great.
1: yes yeah. and then uh Throughout the 90s, I had um, what I thought was a super-duper fancy uh, piece of electronic equipment that was a double cassette player.
0: Oh, and, yeah. Mm-hmm, uh-huh, uh-huh. You put
1: a cassette in deck one and a cassette in deck two. And you'd start deck one, and it would play through entire side A of cassette one,
0: mm-hmm. and then it
1: would flip it for you and yeah. play side two. And when side two was done, it would automatically start side one of cassette two. It was, I'm, I, it was the height up.
0: of technology, the absolute height know. of technology. Absolutely. But... At it... <laughs> it's so, I, I'm, I'm now envisioning though, because I had, I, uh, I'll tell that story in a second, but the double cassette must have had like a very long fold out that like cardboard thing that had weird peripherals it's or uh, uh, at some point so it was like it would tear and occasionally how long how, how big was that
1: i remember being really long because i couldn't get it back into the cassette mm-hmm. oh that's in, right in, in the the thing yeah and it wasn't it wasn't common it was only like certain musical theater cassettes mm-hmm. and contemporary christian artist cassettes that would um have that long of a of a fan <laughs> of cardboard cuz like I grew up super Southern Baptist and so always made a Sandy Patty cassette and her cassettes would come with sheet music in them and sheets and like liner notes and thank yous and a full photo shoot. So you'd open it up and it was like, like the red carpet would roll. Gosh.
0: Wow. So that's just like, they just took whatever was on the record and just like condensed it into, into the cassette. To fold right. it out.
1: That's I was talking I about this with somebody recently about the the cassettes, and I would be like, you know, it was just like they were doing with CDs, and my friend was like, you know, CDs weren't around then, right? So it right. wasn't they were doing on CDs what they had done on cassettes, but had more room to do it. And I was like, wow, you're horrible! I, <laughs> <laughs> what an awful thing to say. We're not friends anymore. <laughs>
0: I, I had the cassette, double cassette recording of Phantom. And it had a thing that came with it that said you could send, you know, fill out your, your address and send, you know, in a card and send it to this address. And they sent you the LP sized libretto that was inside the LP that would not fit in the double cassette. So I used to have, before it fell apart, this 12 by 12, like, uh, booklet that was just all the lyrics, you know, and the liner notes for the album and stuff. Because it just wouldn't fit inside, I guess when they folded it down, they just shipped you the uh, the little booklet that came with the L- the double LP. They would mail album. it.
1: Did you have to pay extra for it? No,
0: you didn't pay for it. That was the thing. Is I just sent. I so you put it. You put your little proof of purchase in and send it, and they'd send it to you back. And it was great because it was the '90s, so like mail took however long it took, and there was no tracking. So I remember putting this thing in the mail and sending it off, and then six, seven weeks later, getting this. Thing back in the mail in a tube, you know, in a, in a cardboard tube, and going, God, what in the world did I get? And opening it up and going, Oh, right, I sent away for this thing months and months ago. And here, I didn't even pay postage. It came that right back.
1: Familiar and brings back like Cameron Macintosh. Yeah. Like, look sure. at this. Right. I remember saving the points off of Kool Aid sure.
0: bars. Oh, sure. Like, uh,
1: they'd come in like plastic tins and you'd get Kool Aid man points. Mm-hmm. And when you saved enough points, you would get like Kool Aid man merch. But you'd order it, and then and you then had idea when it was coming.
0: You got a T-shirt <laughs> that by the time it arrived, you didn't fit anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Star Search was the same way, because every week they would say, if you'd like to be on Star Search, that's my Ed McMahon voice. There you go. you would like to be on Star Search, send a cassette tape of your vo- vocals to this address, yada, yada, in Hollywood, California, and send in a cassette and wait and wait and wait and send in another and wait and wait and wait.
0: And then they respond oh. to the first one.
1: Right. Innocent times, but, boy, they're horrible. <laughs>
0: i had i had with this this miss Legan is a funny show in my music theater knowledge because i had it was one of the ones where i got a cd player when i was 13 in, in the in the, around the same time in the early 90s and asked for a bunch of music theater cds and got a lot of them except the two i didn't get was i didn't get the right Phantom. I got the Yestin Phantom instead of the Angeloid Weber one, so I have that in my in my oeuvre, which is why I ended up buying the cassette with my own money. But then I asked for Miss Saigon, and they got me the highlights disc. Very uh, disappointing to a to a young music theater that
1: fan. Is just, the that is just such a moment with Grease it is. that uh, I was trying to buy the Grease cast recording. Mm-hmm. This is the um, the Rosie O'Donnell and Sam Harris one was out. Mm-hmm. And my mom, Ever the Thrifty One, saw the Highlights recording of Grease, and she was like, same thing, all the songs you like. But the Highlights is like some trash cast that they threw out there to make some bucks off of unsuspecting young right. gay men. And, <laughs> and I, their mothers. I know. And I threw this like MIDI track cassette into my player. It was horrible. Oh, gosh. And somehow they got John Barrowman to play uh, the lead, And I was into that. Sure. Most of the cast was like, I'm assuming the producers, cousins and aunts, because they were the worst heartbreaking. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. Highlights albums are just never it's never as good. It's never what you want. You want the whole I couldn't. My mom said the same thing. Oh, it's just as good. It's it's the best songs. It was like, no, you don't. I want the show. I want the whole thing. Um, Yeah. But because of that, I only grew up with like half the show, not even half the show, because they they cut some weird song. The highlights, like for example, doesn't include I don't think the movie in my mind, which is a bizarre like song to cut from from this show if you're doing the highlights. But uh, and it retitles uh, now that I've seen her to a different title. So I always thought there were three different songs, but there's only two for uh, at the end of act two. But in the. Um, as a result, I grew up not really knowing a lot about this show and then did a production. I were a crew for a production of Madam Butterfly when I was in college. So I actually know more about Madame Butterfly than I do about Miss Saigon, which was funny revisiting it with you uh, for, for this uh, and realizing, oh, yeah, I completely follow the show. I know exactly what's going on. But for those who may not know, do you think you could uh, summarize the plot of Miss Saigon for our audience?
1: Oh, I could I could definitely try. I'm a little <laughs> long-winded.
0: <laughs> it's a so, lot. There's a lot of plot in the
1: show. A lot, buttercup. Um, so, <laughs> so there's this guy, Chris. He's at war with all of his good buddies. And uh, on a night off from war type things, they go to a bar. Um, now I understand it's a uh, a bar for prostitutes and such at the time. I just thought it's some sort of honky tonk where everybody's super friendly and there's a beauty pageant. (laughs) They didn't really like explicitly lay out what was happening. So at a certain age, which was me, (laughs) I said to fill in some blanks and make some assumptions. So Chris is on his night off and he goes to this club and there's a a host there's a really charming host who's hosting the beauty pageant. And there's going to be a winner. And all of the soldiers buy raffle tickets to win. You know, obviously, 12-year-old me thought they were just betting on who would win the beauty pageant. Um, there was a swimwear category, obviously. <laughs> so uh, they, they do the drawing. And he has Gigi choose the winner. And she says, the guy who wins um, the contest is number 68th. <laughs> 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 and uh so the winner comes up and he picks her up and they hug and i was like they're friends now
0: oh, very oh, friendly right? right yeah he's oh, so happy what,
1: what a great night in saigon nailed it <laughs> fun night out with your friends and you right. made a new gal pal. so they move on and then everybody's sad and all the women are talking about a better life this movie in their mind which is i gotta say my favorite moment in the show when oh. gd I love movie in my mind. Yeah. I just love it. Um, I actually, just before we started talking, looked up her name, the woman who played Gigi, you mm-hmm. Alvarez. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but I was in love with her as a kid. Mm. So uh, all of the women have that uh, behind the scenes moment of dreaming of a better life. And Chris Notices a really shy woman who is very uncomfortable being there. And he is into that. So he introduces himself to her and they become good friends. And then, of course, she wants to show him her place. So he visits for the night and they hang out and they have a sleepover. Um, (laughs) Then there's war and everybody's racing for the consulate and for the embassy. And they've got to get on that helicopter and get out of here because things are going a rock. And yes. at one point, Chris is definitely like, but I made a new friend and I'd really like if she could come with me, too. And they're like, no way. These are war times. You Can't bring your friend. And so he asks his other friend who sings a lot of big ballads. So he's got to be able to get this done to help him out. And they go find her and give her information. But she's just this much too late. Isn't that just the law of the world? Um, just a moment too late and the gates close and the helicopter flies away. Intermission. Then we rejoin Chris, who um, we're told is years later, but he looks remarkably the same. And he has a a wife and um, she is a very good singer as well. Mm. And he has nightmares often and calls out this name, Kim, but he's never told his wife about her because shady business. So when she finally gets the information out of him that he had met this woman in war, she says, you've got to go see her and they fly off to Vietnam and they're going to find Kim upon uh, on their journey. We find out that Kim um, is beholden in some strange way to a man who um, has a gun and he (laughs) likes her to do what he likes her to do when he likes to do it. And when he tells her, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to shoot you. She says, I got you, fool. She shot him first, which was a big moment. This is the moment. (laughs) And um, there's also a king somewhere in China where everybody's mad about them in Vietnam. No, not China. And uh, they tumble. They do a lot of gymnastics in that scene on a raked stage, which I was impressed with at 12. And when we get there, when Chris gets there, he finds out that um, he's going to go see Kim. But she believes... He tells her that he's not going to take her with him. So she does what any sane person does and kills herself and makes him take the child who she would give her life for, which was foreshadowing. Like you wouldn't believe because she literally gave her life for him. And he takes the kid and bows
0: sunset. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. You know, (laughs) I like you calling it war and he goes to war, you know, there's war,
1: war, you know, but it does, it does sort
0: of underpin the, the, the tone of this show, which is like war like there's a lot of this you know a lot of this is bad you know and like you say the the thing people have in common is they sing a lot of ballads and they sing really (laughs) well like and that's kind of what we're dealing with here everyone's a good singer in that show just everyone oh yeah but you gotta be there's too much singing you 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 uh, i think this might be a harder score character to character than les mis is uh, um, I think it's a more
1: interesting score um, uh than is to me. Uh Lamez is very, uh, what's the word I would use for Le Leimez is very whiny. I'll give it that. Mm. Um, to me, I find that uh Miss Saigon is just more textured and um just has more realism to it. I mean, m- who's to say that? Times weren't boohoo drama heavy in Lamez. I wasn't there. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but it just seems like they show a little more well rounded nature and make us fall in love with characters that Lamez doesn't really give you the chance to fall in love with for me.
0: Mm. Well, this handles the time much better makes like, hey. is a real time problem. And and this this handles this has this really interesting thing of chugging along and then jumping forward in time and then jumping back in time. And it's sort of it's so that you you know you know what happened. Like, I, I like the fact that they skip over the helicopter and then come back to it because you know she didn't get out. Like that's all you need to know for the story to kind of move forward, and saving that high drama for act two, where it really, really belongs, leading into the scene where she meets Ellen and then, you know, kills herself and all that, like that, it really gives you the great motivation to see what she's been through in an odd way, in the correct order, but seeing it out of order, it gets you emotionally where you need to be at the right moment, which I think is, is wonderful.
1: Yeah, I agree. I've never seen the, um, I've never seen the life. I, mm, I I'm mm-hmm. obsessive over that cast recording, but I've never seen a production of it. But growing up, you know, listening to Miss Saigon so much, when I finally did hear the life and listened through the stories, in my mind, they borrowed the same set. And essentially mm-hmm. Sam Harris was Jonathan Price. <laughs> and it was like similar musicals, you know, like sure. Like Rent and La Boheme. <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> Miss Saigon and the Life. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Those two chestnuts. They're running in rep right now somewhere in Connecticut. Uh <laughs> Well, so what What I'm interested in, I mean, I'm interested in so many things because this show is, is bonkers in so many levels. My big question I wrote down is why is he called the engineer? But we'll get back to that. Uh, I never thought about that. I couldn't. So I assumed because of my my Madame Butterfly knowledge. There's a character in Madame Butterfly called the Bonds who comes on towards the beginning of act one and condemns Cho-Cho-San for marrying this white man. And then she leaves. And then the Bonds leaves. And I always thought, well, the Bonds is a weird name. It's probably, if you translate Bonds into English, it's engineer or something like into French and then into English. Like it it all means the same kind of thing. No, uh, it doesn't at all. Bonds means priest. Pretty straightforward. Uh, He is, the character is a priest. So, you know, why is he? I, I googled this for as long as I was willing to and came up with no satisfactory answer as to why he's called the engineer, but that's what he's called. I think he also appeared
1: in Sweeney Todd
0: <laughs> late, right? <laughs> late in Sweeney Todd, okay. yeah. Well, I guess right at the beginning, he pulls, he pulls the whistle and we're, we're on our way. Uh, but wh- I'm interested really in, in the perspective you had as you know, 11, 12 years old when this show came out, there was. I mean, it's a big hit. It was a big deal coming from London where it had been running for, I think, two years already at that point. It was a huge show. It's obviously uh, Schoenberg and, and Bubil's follow-up to Les Mis, which is a massive hit itself. Uh, but it didn't come without controversy. And I'm wondering if that's like 11 years old in on Broadway. in I mean, I was aware of it in Wilmington, Delaware, vaguely through the New York Times arts and leisure section every Sunday. But... As somebody who was in on Broadway in Actors Equity, obviously you're a kid. But like, was this something that was you were in any way aware of? No, no, not
1: in the slightest. Um, I wasn't even aware it was. Uh, I wasn't even aware he was white. I didn't know. Mm. Oh wow! <laughs> and um, you know, it's not like um, as a kid, as a child actor, you've got a lot to focus on. You're in school full time. You're doing, and at the time, we had uh, much more relaxed child labor laws. So I did eight shows a week um, and rehearsals, and I did a very adult schedule with a full-time school schedule while auditioning and doing appearances for the show. And uh, we were, I feel like most adults in my life were very conscientious of that and were very patient with us and were very, um, I guess, remiss to present more drama Mm. and anything that was going to stress us out in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, So no, I was not aware of race relation issues truly uh, especially in the theater. Uh, It's talked about much more readily now Mm. and uh, actors are made to feel more human now and made to feel like they can express their grievances and their feelings without Fearing blackballing from the industry and all of that, but i at the it took me until I was well into adulthood to even know that there had been an issue at any mm-hmm. time, and I still don't know why like obviously I know why there was an issue mm-hmm. and It makes perfect sense, but what doesn 't make perfect sense is why he was ever hired to
0: begin with yes that is the that 's mm-hmm. the best question I always assumed he was cast because the character was supposed to be half French. I thought there was some kind of like, Oh, well, you know, he's, he's, he's a mixed race character. So that's, that's how we, but then that isn't true. So I don't know why they cast Jonathan price in the show in the first place. Like you say,
1: it's also interesting. Like today, mm -hmm. people would ask the actor specifically, why did you even accept this role? You know, better than this. Right. I mean, now today with with social media and with uh, with kind of the unification of the planet, like the whole planet is different than it. I started touring internationally when I was very young. And the world is a very different place on so many levels than it was then, even from like the late 90s to the 2000s. It just you saw a a very different planet um, with the Internet because everywhere just started to sort of look the same and all those super unique things, even domestically that you'd find in Arizona versus Miami versus Atlanta versus Kansas city, those things that were super unique about traveling in the States started to become kind of, Oh, where am I? Mm -hmm. I It'd be anywhere. And now it's starting to look like that globally. I say that because now we see basically the full production of the London cast performance, before it ever dreams of coming to New York, we know what it looks like. We know who's in it. We know intimate details about the actors and the writers and the, the production team. But then the word London cast was like really only experienced by the elite. Like most people didn't know what that really meant. Mm-hmm. Most people, most consumers didn't get to travel to London to see the London cast. You got the recording.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And how are you supposed to know the the difference and the, the subtle, the subtleties of it? You know what I'm saying?
0: Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It It, it is a different, I mean, the, the, you know, the number of people I know just personally who flew over to London to see company, you know, two years ago, three years ago, just to jaunt over to a show that was, uh, was probably coming, you know, to the U S and they still took off to go see it. It, it, it is a, obviously these are diehard theater fans and things, but this is a much easier thing to do. You have a much, you can get tickets much easier before you leave. Obviously you can do all these things. And I remember, I mean, in the nineties traveling to London with my family to go see shows and blocking out times to go see theater as part of our trip, but still not really being able to buy the tickets until we got there. So we had to pick kind of a selection of things we'd want to see in case choice. Number one was not, available and now that's unthinkable i could buy tickets to something you know well not right now obviously but when when the tickets are available can be bought anywhere online quickly and
1: it's the same in new york i mean you know if you were coming to new york and you didn't know intimate details about broadway and which we did not when i was coming to new york you're sort of hit with a cavalcade of options it's like a candy store and you don't know what to focus on so you ask questions and hope that the person you're running into doesn't have stock in a really bad show. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely go downtown and see this amazing nude musical. You'll love it.
0: It's called let my people come. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, When did
0: you come to New York? Uh, uh, 90 91. Did you come to do secret garden or was it. You, well, I came you,
1: to audition for several shows. Okay. And, um, in that first time I came, I booked Secret Garden and we moved here shortly after.
0: And uh, where, where'd you, uh, where are you from?
1: Missouri, a couple hours north of Kansas City.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah, Have they gone, yeah well, you've gone about as far as you can go. Listen. Uh, that's obligatory, that joke at this point.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs>
0: I, you know, I tell you. <laughs> so, okay, so you came out. How long did you do Secret Garden for? What do you got here? Like a year. Oh, wow.
1: Okay. Something like that. Um, A lot of that window of my life is sort of like garbled. Well, north. I was
0: going to say, if you're doing the show and all the other stuff you just described to go with it, there must be this sort of you're like, you know, 1991, 92 was sort of like, what happened? I don't know. I missed this. What, yeah,
1: I have some memories that are just so vivid. And like, I will tell you, one of my most vivid memories is seeing Miss Saigon. Mhm. Truly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have these really vivid memories of Rebecca Luker. Mm. Uh, and I used to take, um, I'd get waltz lessons in the wings with Nancy Johnston. Um, so there are moments of my life that just feel like they could have been recent. Mm-hmm. But most of it, I'll have people that knew me at that time tell me what happened. And I'm like, was I there? <laughs> <laughs> really? Was I high? I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, you kind of were. I mean, baby brain doing show like that and then being schooling and everything on top, like your your schedule must have been. And
1: I had on mass baby brain because I came to New York directly from a 100% Caucasian farming town mm. in, uh, in Missouri. So I had a lot to learn in <laughs> a very short amount of time. <laughs>
0: And then have you just sort of been ever since, since the early nineties would been working pretty much consistently through there.
1: Yeah. Not in theater. Um, mm. There has definitely been a, um, uh, like a, it breaks up the schedule for me. Um, because I'm not, I'm not the most marketable theater actor, um, because I don't fit into the molds. Mm. Really. Um, and I'm kind of cool with it. When I was younger, it really sucked because I there were so many shows that I'd love to be in. But it was like because I liked the show, not because I'd be particularly good in the show. Mm. I've always been a, a very high resonating tenor. And so much musical theater music is just too low. I mm. can't even physically perform it. Um, but then, you know, Rent hit in 97. And I found new possibilities for myself because... Mm-hmm musical theater started becoming very pop and rock driven and shows started to become more feasible for me. But when I grew up, when I left the secret garden, when I left the secret, when I was fired from the secret <laughs> garden, when I was let go, um, because I had just gotten too big, mm-hmm. I, uh, it was heartbreaking, but at the same time it, um, it was inevitable. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, was- at puberty age where you know right before it you're um hot commodity and then puberty hits and there's just no work for you so the calls dry up um so for a very short time we went back to the farm and mm-hmm. I found some performance opportunities in Branson Missouri do you know Branson mm-hmm,
0: I do yeah
1: um and got to perform with some country music legends and really cut my teeth on harmonizing and playing my guitar and writing and um you know, being myself on stage, which is a very different beast than theater, Mm -hmm. and toured with a lot of really awesome artists for several years and worked in Nashville and LA and Florida. Um, And then after high school, um, spent a couple of years in business school, did a lot of um, small, like regional theater while I was in college and came back to New York, spent a few years doing um, dance music club and house music and would tour internationally doing nightclubs and things. Um, doing a lot of nightclubs here in the city until I booked Wicked was my next theatrical experience and that led me right into Xanadu uh, and I did Wicked and Xanadu for enough years of doing eight shows a week that when Xanadu closed, I needed a break.
0: You were okay. yeah, you're
1: good. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, I was <laughs> kind of happy to get a little I All wondered right. what eight o'clock looked like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> had enough of the grease paint for a little while that makes that yeah, makes good I sense.
1: love the theater and I love that schedule and I love show people but I don't think that humans are built to do eight shows a week in ad nauseum mm-hmm. We need breaks from that
0: mm-hmm. and it keeps you fresh like it keeps you keeps your performance fresh you can't do if you do the same thing over and over and over and over again It's fresh. yeah there you go <laughs> uh, so when you found Miss Saigon mm-hmm. as a, you know, as a, a uh, obviously a kid who was doing theater and loved to do, to do theater. What, what kept it with you through all this various changing, you know, secret garden and back to Missouri and touring and all this, like what, what, what kept it something that you would return to?
1: Especially when I left New York. Um, like I'd said, we didn't have incredibly tangible, um, ways of keeping up with what was happening in new york mm-hmm. like before i was offered the opportunity to come and audition for broadway we didn't know what broadway was i knew that there was theater out there but i you know i thought that theater meant oklahoma annie and the wizard of oz like mm-hmm. those were the in plays a circle i knew <laughs> you just do those every year right um so when my mind was really opened up and sparked to the possibilities that a place like New York and theater presented um, going back to the farm and not having access to any of this or anything new, I clung to what I did have uh, like a vice. And I would listen to um, every night. I mean, for years, every night I would listen to cassette one, Side A, cassette two, side A, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or cassette one side A, side B, cassette two, side A, side B, and then I'd do Les Mis. And then I'd go back to Miss Saigon. And after years of doing that, I started getting into, um, okay, tonight I'm only going to focus on this character. Oh, and I'm man. really gonna think about what that character was doing through the course of the show. And I would find myself wondering what happened to Gigi after movie in my mind. And wonder what Gigi was up to when, when, you know, she wasn't friends with Kim anymore or, and I, I sort of like puzzle myself of is Gigi still alive at this point in the show? Mm -hmm. Did Gigi find love? Did Gigi, what happened to Gigi? Justice for Gigi.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What? It's a funny show to do that in because it, also, uh, I guess Le Miz does this in a little bit of a way, but not quite so drastically. It starts with this huge number, you know, with everybody on stage, basically, with The Heat Is On and Saigon. And then as the show goes on, it narrows down the number of peripheral characters that we're spending any time with. So at the time when we get to the end with, you know, Chris, Ellen, John, Kim, and the engineer, and the little boy, that's pretty much it. You know, the last half of Act 2 is just those people and makes sense to
1: me in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I mean, like my social circle as a kid and a teen and in my twenties and even my thirties was enormous. Mm-hmm. Like, I was very active and very busy and I was going places and doing things and always setting up parties and events that as you age, your social circle does really gets smaller and you focus on what's important and you really everything becomes a little more hyper focused and a little more I guess laser pointed so to me that makes total sense mm-hmm.
0: yeah but you could focus on a character at the start of act one like Gigi who vanishes after you know is it two, is she really gone after movie in my mind I guess she is right I mean in
1: yeah yes I she wow. had the other scene she has after oh she movie. goes
0: back in the wedding that's right, right. She goes. yeah that's right okay. the
1: wedding party right which is so sweet and romantic. I always thought that it was like all of these women that I knew were jealous of her.
0: Really, uh, put that died, mm-hmm. and they
1: celebrated the beauty of the moment, and they let her have her, what was due her. And I thought mm-hmm. that was, um, I thought that was romantic. And that song is so pretty.
0: Yeah, yeah it is a gorgeous song. thing i think that gets lost in having the highlights album was when the, when you play the the hits quote unquote it's a lot of the same kind of song over and over again it's almost like relentless aggressive ballads on the highlights album
1: i feel like and, that'd be the name of my next album
0: <laughs> a, I, hey i like it that sounds good to <laughs> relentless me
1: Relentless ballads.
0: less aggressive ballads <laughs> K- casey Aaron clark which was uh coined the phrase i think uh that she does contemporary scores in corsets shows which is another great like the frank wildhorn that th- this kind of score can drift into and certainly influence a lot of the jekyll and hyde that came came after it
1: i love casey Aaron clark by the oh, way isn't
0: she great she's so and, much fun
1: um adina alexander i don't know if you know her uh, i don't know she's a broadway staple she i think her last show was kinky boots she might have done mm. something after that, but I think it was Kinky Boots. Uh, she's done a million Broadway shows, but she's also just been in the business for a million years. Um, she's incredible. And she's been posting a lot of her <clears throat> her like career, um her, her her career pictures from early on mm-hmm. in her career. Mm-hmm. And like five or six days into posting these pictures, she's like, so I guess I just figured out that I spent the first 20 years of my career in a corset. <laughs> and literally every mm-hmm. picture is her in a corset <laughs> it's so what true of, in theater of course it yep. is of course it is
0: right. happens to everybody that's the yeah <laughs> no matter what show. it doesn't matter yeah it makes no difference you put a corset it's on a corset nothing there over that. now there. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a show that's yeah. either rocky horror or cabaret jekyll and i you, right you could definitely do sections of jekyll and i that way but so there is a lot of there is a lot of range in this show. The characters do, you know, twist and turn and have subtleties and and moments that inform the big, you know, big uh, aggressive ballads. Um, the character who I think gets the shortest shrift on the Highlights uh, album is John, um, who obviously sings "Buidoy," which is a remarkable song and it's a remarkable moment. It's a remarkable recording of the song, also. Like I, I don't think that should be understated. I never thought one day I'd plead For half-breeds from a land that's torn But then I saw
1: a camp for children Whose crime was being born There come we joy, The dust of life Conceived in hand A loving home they never knew Because we know deep in our hearts That they are all our
0: children too These are souls in need They need us to give Someone has to pay
1: For their chance to live Help me
0: he has a lot to do and there's a lot going on like for, for, for John throughout the entire show that if you, if you don't really dial into the show, you don't really get how he's this interesting fluctuating moral compass of, you know, the right, what is the right thing to do in in the show? And Chris doesn't really have that. Chris is just sort of always this open wound, loving idealist kind of character. And John's the one being like, no, get on the chopper. And then later being like, we made a mistake. We need to go back and mm. fix these things um, and has this interesting growth that leads to this really interesting, as they call it in the show, the confrontation uh, among these four characters at the end who are all want things that no, nobody's going to walk out of their ha- Like so Everyone's has to walk out of their disappointed because there's no way everybody's going to get everything they could possibly could possibly want.
1: That's a way to build a cabaret.
0: Okay, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, all i know is everyone's walking out of here God,
0: everyone's out of here walking out of here. nobody gets
1: what they want
0: <laughs> nobody it'd be a good message for a cabaret it'd be a nice change from the like, i guess what i learned is that we can all be who we want to be it'd be great like yeah. no, listen nobody's happy good yeah i'm
1: gonna start it with we've locked the doors <laughs> <laughs> all the best best to each one of you There's no cell service. Deal
0: with it. No one's live tweeting this one. (laughs) And now
1: the first of 62 ballads. (laughs) None a (laughs) medley. There will be a singing a middle, and an end.
0: 62 times. (laughs) Singing cut songs from chess at half tempo. Deal with it.
1: (laughs) And now for ballad 46.
0: (laughs) No falling asleep.
1: No falling asleep. Okay, and now at Ballad 50, this one, right. some of you may have heard.
0: <laughs> Sing along if you know the words. You, you don't know, know the things. words. <laughs> I'm singing the alternate lyrics. Too.
1: <laughs> Speaking of alternate lyrics. Oh, well. Talk about that.
0: There's so many alternate lyrics. <laughs> this show has been interestingly rewritten over the years. Cut, things uh-huh. taken out, put back in.
1: Oops. Why the hell did they do that? <laughs> Nobody's ever cared what I thought enough to ask my opinion about the changed lyrics. But now that I'm here and I've been given a, a you have a this platform. platform.
0: Absolutely.
1: I feel like I found my Miss Saigon soapbox and I'd like to talk to the powers that be.
0: Go ahead. Stand Why up.
1: Did they do this. Like, I, I mean, I get that artists grow and evolve, but like aren't shows supposed to freeze? Aren't they supposed to write it, win the award, and then walk away? But they just kept changing it. And in this last revival of it, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I I was listening to Ellen sing, and I'm like, do you not know this song? What happened? Are you you ad-libbing? And I I was feverishly Googling during the whole, I still believe, like, what is this bitch singing? (laughs) And she sounds so good. But it's just
0: wrong, is what it is. I don't get it. I don't get it at all.
1: There's no logical reason to change them. They're not even as good. Like they're not. To me, none of them were even as strong of a, of a rhyme cadence. They weren't more meaningful lyrics. It was. It was like changing. I don't know. They were like, oh, you know, they called the sky blue. Can we call it cyan? Mm-hmm. Like. It's not green, it's aubergine. It's, it's like changing a word for no reason mm-hmm. is what it felt like to me. And, you know, I was not in the room where it was created. So maybe they had their reasons. <laughs> I would be willing to bet they did. But to me, as a giant fan of the original growing up on it, it just seemed mildly insulting.
0: Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I guess there's a sort, sort of... of- <laughs> well and it's not like i mean you're also dealing with lyricists who know what they're doing you know it's not like uh, i i mean it, it's richard maltby you know and and elaine Al- bubleau like they know what they're doing they're they're proven lyricists you know they don't need to change say things say to prove again. i'm sorry
1: say that composer again
0: elaine Boublil? did i am i butchering his name
1: Oh, I have no idea. I've just never oh. heard it said out loud. Is that Is that how you say it?
0: That's how I say it. I'll say, I mean, that's how it's spelled. That's. So I have no French in me. At all. I know it's uh, Claude Michel Schomberg. I know that, but I don't know how you pronounce uh, Do it. Again. Do it again. One more time. Claude Michel Schomberg.
1: That's I the know. hottest thing ever. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. I have never tried that one, but I have definitely tried to say the second one that I'm not going to say now because I definitely. <laughs> have not been saying it correctly um but i'm just all of a sudden hearkening to all the <laughs> names in harry potter when i read the book before there was a movie and it was uh-huh. like hermione hermione oh yeah me hermione, hermione. Mm-hmm. how do you say this lady's name and then when they released the movie i was like no that's wrong
0: <laughs> that's not how i that's not <laughs> that how would say be it. That's, a, that's a nonsense word don't say that but in any event, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure I pronounced Richard Maltby's name correctly. But uh, his the, these lyricists are are known lyricists. They're not like like you know they're not they they're established. They don't need to change things to prove they're better than they are or anything like that. Um, I, I think there's a, there's an argument to be made that some like that some of the the lyrics and I still believe that Kim's, is it Kim who's they changed something about they up the dreams a little bit. That's all I can remember from the difference. I didn't re-listen to the 2014 cast album because i don't like live cast albums very much but there's some kind of parallel there that i think they try to draw in any event
1: some of the lyrics were new for this production but some Mm -hmm. of them they changed mid-run on broadway because i saw i saw the show many times Mm -hmm. and i saw the final i saw the closing performance
0: oh wow
1: I had seen the show originally because I was a fan. Sure. And then I saw the show several times when uh, Billy Porter, who was a very good friend, um, mm-hmm. and kind of a mentor, we were on Star Search together. And he was uh, really rising in his Broadway career. Um, and he was covering the role of, uh, oh, what's his name? We um, Doi, the guy who sings John. John. He was covering John. And a few times we went to see him go on as John, which was. Magic. Wow. yeah. and uh, very unique and different take on everything. Um, but my point is I went to the show many times in the nineties and then I went to the show a few times in the two thousands and I was dazzled that they changed the lyrics mid run. Hmm. I honestly dirt. didn't even know that was allowed. I thought it was like, okay, show's frozen. Walk right.
0: Away. Let it go. You done. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I, you know, I guess if you're waking up in the middle of the night screaming lyrics that you think should be changed, then we're going to change them. But don't you just like should... write another show like this one's doing great. That's what I would. That's always what I say. I, I don't understand the, the need to like if something I, I get, though, I think, again, the, it leads to overwriting. I get the merrily we roll along thing like the show didn't run. You feel there's a good show, like the show's in here somewhere. If I just keep writing, I'll find it. And I think to be honest, as I've said on this podcast before, we passed it. But it, I get that. If the show's not a hit, and you want to make it a hit, you tinker with it, you know, you play with it, you do this like. But this show is still, I believe, the 13th longest running show in Broadway history. Let me double check yes. that. Yeah. It's those
1: it that what you make a fair argument, but merrily we roll along to me, it's just such a different even playing field. Mm-hmm. In that I'm for so many Sondheim was so young and early in his career and had this vision that did not work of making this show where kids played these adults, and mm-hmm. it, it was just way too many ideas, and I just feel like a lot of drugs were involved. um did you see that Meryl we roll along,
0: yeah the the yeah it,
1: it was fascinating, mm-hmm. uh, no idea Liz Calloway was in that show, but oh we'll yeah, start, we'll start there um. <laughs>
0: And he, Giancarlo Carlo Esposito.
1: Yes, Easy. same journey of of Merrily we roll along from conception through that uh, that wild audition process that I couldn't believe mm-hmm. was filmed and documented, through the first production and the second production. Uh, meanwhile, the only real um, understanding of the show I had was I was in the worst mounted production of the show in history <laughs> in
0: college. Oh, okay.
1: Oh, it was terrible. Um, just an embarrassment. Uh, mm. And so I didn't know much about the show other than basics. Watching that documentary, you know, mm-hmm. I, I completely understand why, from this production to this production, you would make changes to make it better and grow and make, tell the story better. But it wasn't like they weren't telling the same story anymore. When it's a cast of twelve-year-olds versus mm-hmm. ass adults playing adults, mm-hmm. so. Of course you can change some of the material and some of the general ideas and concepts, especially the specific lyrics, but Miss Saigon was not telling a conceptual story. There wasn't like this um <clears throat> this hard to find message in Miss Saigon. It pretty much <laughs> beat me over the noggin. Oh the- yeah. From <laughs> the jump. Yeah, it yeah. Was, uh, Ooh, hoo.
0: Right. All
1: in love. Everyone's going to die.
0: Everyone's yeah. going to die.
1: Everybody yeah. dies.
0: Everybody dies.
1: Going to cry at this show. Yeah. If you don't cry, you're a monster pig human who doesn't deserve to see it. That, like if you don't cry when she shoots herself or when she shoots, who's her, who's her, who's the, I think it's Tui. I think she said Tui. Okay, um, okay. Regardless, her cousin, him, yeah. you were like, Oh, game changer. Yeah. Right. Did not see that coming. I thought he was just gonna walk away, but she,
0: right.
1: she shot that dude.
0: Yeah, she did.
1: Um, just gangster.
0: <laughs> well, you will not touch that boy. You will not touch my son. You will not, you not, touch, will
1: not touch my child. <laughs> you don't know how to kill. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like a like an Asian Adam Pascal. He was it
0: is awesome. such a it is such a weird hilarious but wonderful moment to me. That whole end of act one section when she kills him.
1: And she shoots the gun and then the chorus is like yes, da, sir, da, 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 da. Oh my <laughs> He's my enemy. It's you touching from me. Erasing from your life. My Even your memories. So you are me dropping you a life. Gun my little boy. I the U.S. Gun. And gun do not will go the corrupted one Go I'm on and shoot Don't to, to save your bastard son I You
0: must not hesitate The earth moves where I stand I feel the turning of a wheel I feel nothing in my hand
1: Not even the feel of steel You will not die.
0: is remarkable i mean because it is like you say it's all on the surface it's all right there all the feelings are sitting right on the on the top and what's also so hilarious about it to think of it like from a writing standpoint is we go from this like amazing emotional pitch and then we take intermission because that's what you want to do when we take a break and then instead of easing us back in with act two we're going to launch in with buidoy and like Again, here's another like, again, aggressive ballad coming right at you in this in this moment. The show never it, it does have ebb and flow to it and rise and fall, but it really holds you pretty tight the whole way. Oh, yeah,
1: because even through. when it comes down low, you've mm-hmm. got sun and moon and last night of the world. And you've got that like that, uh, you know, in their lives, when you look at what the story was, it was like a night or two that they got mm-hmm. together. I'm not sure how long it was in the uh,
0: like a week tops. It, yeah.
1: It, felt like it was this romance of the ages that you Mm -hmm. were going through and seeing these two people fall so deeply in love um and when i saw it Leia salonga and um who was my first chris uh i know his name i bought he had a few albums out that i i bought and fell in love with oh i cannot get his name off my tongue right now
0: it was it was it Willie Falk? I'm looking at the list right That was second. not
1: the first one I saw
0: okay
1: I, Simon Bowen, I know was the Chris on the original uh London right. recording, and his voice I loved i I would practice he had this really choppy vibrato mm-hmm. that was like sort of like a a machine gun it was like <laughs> it hit really hard, and I would practice trying to make my vibrato sound like that ah was like knocking on a door he had the most beautiful tone and i had never heard somebody use that kind of propeller vibrato before and i just loved it hmm. i thought it was cool who was
0: who's I'm also that seeing guy? let's see it's uh sean mcdermott is coming him. up early.
1: him he's the one that i loved okay i do not know and i have never met um sean mcdermott but i do have all of his albums oh wow was a big fan
0: that's pretty great
1: well, he was amazing. I got-
0: And in your well, I guess if you were if you're pre-puberty it wasn't you didn't have a vocal range per se at that point, but that's in your, you know. Oh,
1: well, I had a vocal name. range. I was sure. more of an Ellen Kim though. Sure. <laughs> you know, I was like the uh, the the swing that covered both. Sure. Um but it was fascinating to at that age start to hear uh musical theater for tenors, mm. where tenors got to be the lead role and not just like the tenors of the eighties and nineties, which were really baritones, if we're being honest. Right. But like a modern sounding tenor of a role that I thought it was phenomenal. I was in love. I was just trying to find some Sean McDermott, um, backstory. And, uh, I found out that the manager of the Buffalo Bills is also a Sean McDermott. Oh,
0: that's a pretty common name. I think you might have a little. Uh... He did,
1: but he was awfully handsome. And I was like, they can't be the same they guy. The same
0: guy.
1: <laughs> I can confirm that Sean McDermott from Miss Saigon is not, in fact, the manager of the Buffalo Bills. So his voice is just tremendous. And his albums are very, very good. I bought them at, um, at uh, Capitol. No, Colony Records. Bought them at Colony Records before it closed. I have at least two of Sean McDermott. Let's ask the Google box how many he has. Sure. Let's check <laughs> it
0: out.
1: Here is Sean McDermott My Broadway, where there's a very hunky cartoon of him. And here is You're Not Alone. There's a really hunky photograph of him. And then he's on an album called The Broadway Tenors. Oh, yeah. older album called New York Nights. Ooh. That I do not have, but how romantic.
0: so this is actually this is a good transition though because i did okay there we go piece of sky and you're not alone i got this there um this is a good time to ask you though i think as you've uh in your career say you have been from theater to touring back to theater and then in more you know doing cabarets and solo shows and things like that i wanted to ask you about uh your albums um Specifically, the one that I'm more familiar with, which is Slow Dancing with a Boy, mm-hmm. uh, and so as somebody who grew up in theater and obviously bought solo albums by by artists that you appreciated. I mean, I'm sure you had at least one or two Mandy Patinkin albums, and and probably a couple of Rebecca Luker's, I'd imagine as well. Uh, these music theater albums that I think we saw fans of, of of our age saw this sort of evolution into albums being more just like, you know, early albums are just a collection of hits or a collection of songs or like, listen to these, me sing these 10 songs in my range into albums that were trying to be a little more conceptual. The first one I remember uh, is Experiment, Mandy Pudinkin's album, Experiment, mm-hmm. which tried to do this sort of all the songs are interconnected and it tried to do the sort of storyline. I don't know that it all works, but it was still trying to do something interesting, but you crafted something very interesting, I think, uh, with your album, uh, Slow Dancing with a Boy. Can you tell the audience about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, um, I'd love to. I I have recorded quite a bit in my life and my uh, career has been, I feel very lucky that my career has been, just disjointed and all over the place Mm. um, because I've had so much experience. Um, I was a backup dancer for pop stars for a long time. I was, I've been a backup singer for just everybody in the business. I've, I've done it um, and I've gotten to sing with so many incredible, incredible iconic artists um, both in concert and in theater. Uh, But because my, my career hasn't been solely theater based, I am much more comfortable and confident playing Marty Mm -hmm. that I am playing anybody else that Mm -hmm. you can make up. Um, There's a lot of pressure playing somebody else. To me, just going out and being me, I I mean, I'm the only one that can fail at that. (laughs) So it feels (laughs) like, yeah, I'll fail better than I did last time. So i got this. Um, Whereas a lot of theater actors feel uh, much more confident playing a role that they came up with in their head than they do actually being vulnerable and exposing themselves. So Mm -hmm. Just different schools of thought. Um, this album, to me, was uh, a very... A, a long, long-term project that uh, I was working on for a lot longer than I was even aware I was working on it. <clears throat> I um, came across this this uh, HuffPost-style article that was about a boy who went to prom. And uh, it was a boy who went to prom with another boy, and there was a picture there. <clears throat> and nothing about the title or the headline or anything really made you think anything untowards but somewhere in my head of growing up in the 80s and 90s in a small farm town I immediately said oh man I hope that kid's okay I hope they didn't rough him up too bad because why else would they be telling the story in a in a publication if mm-hmm. they didn't beat the hell out of him and I go into the article and I'm looking at the pictures and it's like this picture of him at the top of the stairs with his date and his parents are taking a picture of him and they're like proud of him and they're having this Coming of age moment And they, they go to the dance And all their friends are like Hey guys nice to see you Nothing weird to see here And they all dance next to the guys And not 10 feet away Wondering if it's like okay Or if mm. they're judged for it One of the kids wins prom king And <clears throat> it was this thing that I realized I should have been Super happy about And loved progress But I found myself livid With these kids Just mad as fire and my I, I started seeing the emotions that i've felt from um from a generation behind me or ahead of me rather seeing the freedoms and possibilities that i had in my life i started understanding their frustration a bit mm-hmm. because i started looking back on my life and realizing that i was robbed of a of some incredible life experiences that were due me and i had a hand in In this, of course, that I allowed this to happen, and I allowed myself to hide and lie and manipulate the truth to please my church and my family and my friends, and to feel like I was going to have a career. Because in the '90s, you were told left, right, and center that uh, gay men can't be performers, you can't be a politician, you can't be a performer, you can't be in the public eye if they know you're a gay man. And um, you know, I, I if I had a nickel for every casting director, director, producer, agent, teacher, who expressly asked me to butch up and asked me, there were people then that would give you lessons on how to sing butcher and how to walk butcher and dance. There were classes on how to dance masculine. And it was, it was horrifying. But at the time you were just grateful that somebody was willing to help you get past this um, horrible thing about yourself, you know? Um, And you were taught to be ashamed and you were taught to, think, well, I can be better. I can do better. I'll be able to work if I just deny everything about myself. And it all harkened back to those school dances of like, why didn't I ask the guy I liked to my high school homecoming? And what could my life have been if I would have been able to be honest with myself and live my life out loud and truthfully and proud um, at that age? And like, how did that manifest itself in my adult life of finding of lying and manipulating the truth and not feeling good enough or smart enough or handsome enough or just enough in any way. Um, so for a few years after reading that article uh, and it was marinating, I would hear songs that were poignant to me from my childhood and my high school and college years, my coming of age years. And I just couldn't let go of reading that article. And it, would, it, it was very painful to me uh, thinking about what might have been, And what could have been and what still could be. uh, So I started just a little project for myself of rearranging and reimagining some of those songs that were really important to me and carried memories and trying to just yank them back and put them in the light. And um, all of the songs on the album definitely do tell a story because they all reflect really uh, vivid memories of my coming of age years and um, tell the story uh, very vividly for me. You can't tell me it's not worth trying for.
0: When I thought our
1: chance had passed You go and save the best for last You know it's true Everything I do I do it for you
0: It's a really, it's a, it's a, a very interesting thing to listen to, um, as somebody who is my age, turning forty-one, and having the same sort of experience that you would have. That that that, if, if I read an article like you said in the Huff Post, that would be my indication, my my gut instinct too, would be like, oh, and what terrible thing happens in the in the fifteenth right. paragraph, and it is such a fun album to listen to and to sort of think of this imaginary thing that was very possible that just didn't happen for people who are our age and i i find it to be i heard you talk about it i think with robbie on uh on uh something may maybe on on gay card revoked or some other thing i heard you speak about the album and went and got it and was amazing that my album no okay. <laughs> uh but was great to hear it was great to hear how fun it was because again in the way you describe it I, I I still I still can't get out of my head the idea of this oh it's sad and it's tragic and it's this isn't and there's certainly a, an air through it of 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 that tone but overall it's a very very fun album to listen to it is really just is an it, you know it's it's a great run of songs and and it has this general sense of hope and fun to it that really makes it worth going back to you know there's no pity in that album to me which i really 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 enjoyed i didn't
1: mean for it to um to be a pitiful project for certain Mm -hmm. uh and a lot of care was put into what went on the album and how it went on the album and how it was arranged and why it was arranged that way and I was very fortunate with this project that um, so many times musicians are uh, placed with teams of people who are talented, but don't know them. Mm-hmm. So you're, they're trying to explain their vision and explain what they're, what they're looking for and what they're trying to do. And they're at the mercy of their own dialogue. On this project, I, every step of the way, was working with my closest and dearest friends And my absolute best friend on the planet produced the record and uh, wrote many of the arrangements. We wrote some of them together. Um, So it was it's so easy to talk to him and explain to him the story that I was trying to tell that aided me greatly. Mm -hmm. Um, But it definitely for me, I'm a fan of old school albums that are meant to be consumed. um, Track one to track Mm -hmm. one they're meant to be listened to in one setting and try to imagine what the artist was trying to say. And so for me, it was very, the, the possibly the most important element of the project was the set list order. Mm. It was, there was no, no one could tell me what was going to go where, because um, you know, I would have, uh, I would have professionals listen to it and friends listen to it. that were like, you know what? I feel like you should break up this little window of ballads. And I'm like, I feel like you should uh, jump off a building is what you should do. You're just supposed to listen to this and say it's perfect and walk away. <laughs> What's wrong with
0: you? That's cute. When you do your album, you can do it that way. But yeah. for this one, right.
1: <laughs> no, kill yourself. Right. Uh, <laughs> how dare? How dare dare? The I idea. Ask, I asked for your honest opinion and here right, you are giving, giving it to, to me. me right. What's wrong with you? <laughs> did no one ever teach you to lie right.
0: <laughs> tell me what you think but tell me you love it like this yeah. is not you know
1: tell me what you think somewhere between you love it and i'm right. absolutely right
0: right it's the best thing ever and it's the best thing ever recently you know right. one of those two <laughs> uh <laughs> i was really glad to hear it when i listened to the album i mean you have a great sense of humor and you have a great presence for that and i was glad to hear that translate through to to, to the album which is hard to do uh in an album, like in a collection of songs, it really feels like it it flows as a body of, you know, as one unified thing meant to be listened to from beginning to end. Like you say, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's great. Everyone should check it out. There's a link to it in, in the show notes, as there is also probably a link to your, your most recent album, the award-winning
1: holiday the album. Nice. I saw a tiny sleigh make its tiny way right across the sky. There wasn't time to think. There wasn't time to blink before it zoomed right by. And everything I knew, I knew, and everything that you knew too is absolutely now untrue because okay. without a doubt, there is a Santa Claus. My <laughs>
0: oh my, Atlanta. Might be the best title for an album ever. It's just so much fun. Martin <laughs> <laughs> Um, you and Versa Rosen did uh, for for the holidays, which was which was a fun a fun thing to have at the around the holiday project. How did that uh, project come about?
1: Ah, uh, just quarantine boredom. That's all. Sure. <laughs> um, I've always wanted to do a holiday album, and I started working on a solo album that um I am, I am still working on. I'm going to release it next holiday, mm. uh, but I got sidetracked because I when I was picking material for it, I am a giant holiday fan again growing up Baptist, Christmas was like the gig mm-hmm. it was uh it just felt like your local church was making national news somehow with all of <laughs> the tricks they were pulling out um there was a cantata and there was a pageant and there was a um a gospel and there was a and ev- like weeks leading up to Christmas were huge events and then there were dinners and there were every night of the week you were at church with all your friends and family and then Christmas Eve was a giant event at grandma's and Christmas Mm -hmm. day was a giant event at your house. And then you went back to church (laughs) again. and there was always, always music. So it it carries such deep weight for me of joy and like the most positive, happy moments of my childhood were centered around the holidays. So um, I, I was again, taking great care with choosing album with choosing music for what I wanted to do and what I wanted to say And uh, Marissa and I had performed this song from Elf, uh, the Broadway musical, right after it came out at Joe's pub for a friend of ours concert, Amy and Amy Lynn and the Gun Show. And uh, we had such a good time learning it and singing it that I asked her if she would do that with me on her album because no one has recorded that song aside from, (laughs) in a lot of ways, very surprising to me because it's so brilliant Mm -hmm. um but then when you really listen to it it's very difficult song Mm. on so many levels lyrically musically but it's also a song that's written for a mother and a 12 year old boy and um we kind of turned it on its ear and made it um a gay man and his jewish bestie (laughs) about santa claus and so we had so much fun singing it live that i thought maybe marissa will come guest on my album and she was Mm -hmm. super eager And then my mind started turning because quarantine allows my mind to do such things. It was i I'll blame it on the caffeine. And I started picturing this project with Marissa and this, this idea of um, the award winning holiday album and how, how we we've already won a contest, but the album hasn't come out yet. Um, (laughs) How stupid. And a few hours later, I had this concept for a duet album and she was all about it. Uh, and it gave us such an excuse because I've been an absolute nun in this quarantine. I'm not sure how you've been doing it, but mm. my partner, Jeffrey, and I, we don't go anywhere, we don't do anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have been staying home
0: mm-hmm.
1: for many reasons. I live in a senior-based building, and I would be devastated to know that I brought something like that to someone in my community. Mm-hmm. And op- and I also don't want to get sick. Right. So, and I've had, I've lost many, many friends to COVID. And um, it was a horrible, horrible end that I'm not into. So we have been so very careful. Working on this album was an opportunity for Jeffrey and I and Marissa to get tested, get our results. And Marissa come just live here for a week. Mm-hmm. I got to spend a week with my best friend after not seeing her for a year. And we just got to work around the clock. On making this album happen it was so much fun it mm. was so much work but it was so much fun
0: <laughs> it really shows it's really if you haven't got it and i can't imagine you have it out there because it was so much if you listen to this podcast you certainly heard about it but you have to get the award-winning holiday it, it album was
1: important It's important for us to make it a holiday album because mm-hmm. you know obviously we celebrate uh from different faiths and that's great and awesome and that's kind of where we stand is like christmas is great hanukkah is great whatever the hell makes you happy and makes you want to dance and celebrate and give presents is so great. So we wanted it to have an element of just every possible celebratory um, uh, possibility at the Mm -hmm. holidays. And from every step of the artwork that our friend Jared Bodie out of Atlanta did um, to the song choices, we, uh, we just, again, we put so much TLC into it and had so much fun doing it. I've, Wanted to write a uh, Hanukkah bop for a long time. Ah, um, And I, I mean, arrange a Hanukkah bop. I did not Church. write the song uh, because every Christmas when um, Marissa and I are doing holiday shows, I can never find a really good, really great, fun Hanukkah mm-hmm. song for her to sing. And she always winds up doing what we call a Hanukkah anthem, which is Barbra Streisand's Jingle Bells. <laughs> That's our Hanukkah theme. So I found this this old um, '70s bop from Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings mm. called it "Days of Hanukkah," and it was like this laid back. You're gonna have to underlay her version under this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Days of. His song had a disco beat and marissa <laughs> rosen <laughs> Eight, seven,
0: six, five, four, three, two,
1: And she sings the living shit out of it. It is so
0: good. (laughs) It's a great album. It's so much fun. Marissa is so much fun. She's such a wonderful, fun personality.
1: Thank you. And we were doubly proud of it because we produced every element of it in this Sure. Every cubicle that you're looking at in my corner, of my apartment,
0: <laughs> in the great recording, the Abbey Road you have there, in your, in yeah. your and your
1: yeah. And we put out so late that we, I submitted it to a couple of different independent record labels, and they were like, "We don't have time to promote right. it." And um, I was like, uh, with their recommendations of saying, "You should save this until next year." Right. I'm so good at listening to advice. I was like, <laughs>
0: yeah. what
1: "My own record label," <laughs> and we did. There you go. We do just it. did it ourselves.
0: Put it out. It's great. It's, it's, it's so, so yeah, it's great. There's so many great places people can can find you uh, and hear your, your voice on so many wonderful recordings. Um, all of which I say I have links to in the show notes. Thank you.
1: you.
0: I do want to hard crash right back into Miss Saigon for a second and ask your opinion on something. If you have no opinion on it, I'll take it out. But uh, are you aware of the uh, Instagram account, Chris, what's haunting you? Oh, yes. Okay, I thought you might be. Would what you magic?
1: Every I like every once in a while, I'm like I'm gonna sing one and send it, to <laughs> <you."> <laughs> but I never have. I don't know why. <laughs> Chris, what's hot? Yeah, some of the Ethel Mermans on that. Oh
0: song. my gosh, people make choices. It's a celebration. I I it seems to. I'm always of two minds about things like that. That you know, because I, I think that you don't want it to be something that exclusively makes fun of somebody singing a song a certain way, but. It it always I, I think the sheer volume of it always feels like it's just a celebration of choices. It just feels okay. to me like there's a lot of different this this song goes to a lot of different places that are all very extreme. And these <laughs> actors of various ages are are giving it giving themselves to this song. And I I just find it to be so fun, such a celebration of like eight bars of music.
1: That that account is very Miss Saigon specific, obviously. And we also mm-hmm. love, my partner and I love to watch um, Let's Hear It for the Choice. Mm-hmm. Oh, on yes. Yes,
0: uh, yes. Yes,
1: yes, yes. None of which are more interesting to me than the Broadway hot dog.
0: Oh, okay. That's your favorite of all the. Uh...
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Watching the hot dogs <laughs> sing Broadway anthems. Um, yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> I watched. I, I can't imagine that I haven't seen a single of the Chris what's haunting you videos because they are, they're memorable.
0: Oh, sure. Absolutely. Such yeah. A the- solid
1: account. Doing God's work, honestly, curate <laughs> collection of magic.
0: I think the one that gave recently on the hot dog that gave me nightmare fuel was the, uh, the sound of music. The Hills are a lot that, that I, I don't know why, but like, even knowing what the Broadway hot dog is, when that came up on my feed, I was just like, no, I, I can't right now. Whatever day it was
1: <laughs> Broadway hot dog's legally blonde. Um, about making a <laughs> pass out. I wet myself. <laughs> 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 They're so good. I do not know who it is. Yeah. I don't know it is. We communicate. We chat mm-hmm. through DM and we talk. And I'm like, I know we have to be friends. We have to be. I know I know who you are, but I, I can't figure it out because of the, vo- the 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 vocoder. Right. And they will not tell me whether or not we actually know each other in real life. They will not tell me who they are.
0: That's perfect. I
1: think it's amazing. <laughs> it's great. It's like, so the great. A, what was that uh, with the long nose? <laughs> the mystery man. Steve Martin made a movie of it.
0: Right. The uh, what uh, Roxanne, but you're, you're uh, Cyrano de Bergerac is what you're.
1: Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah.
0: That is what the more Broadway French. We are. won't make you say.
1: <laughs> is right. what, um the Broadway hot dog, is to me.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. You know
1: Cyrano de
0: Bergerac <laughs> and and Claude Michel and everybody. The whole gang's all here. Blue ball. <laughs> blue blue. blue. Uh, I ask everybody as a, as a sort of wrap up, I do want to ask you, what is your favorite song in Miss Saigon?
1: Oh, I can't pick a favorite one, but I will. Um, Favorite song in Miss Saigon. Uh, I mean, I think my favorite moment in the (laughs) show musically is the movie in my mind. I'm looking through to make sure I've chosen right, because this is, I mean, it's hard to not pick. I still believe. Um, now that I've seen her, gives me like... That's the one
0: for me. That's the, positive vibes. When I heard they cut it or replaced it and then listened to it, I don't quite understand why you changed that song. Now that I've seen her is such a wonderful moment for that character because you sort of... The song takes so many great turns to the point where she's just like at the end, like, listen, he's not leaving with her. Whatever I have to do to make that happen, that's what's going to happen. And it's a real, the tension that creates going into the end is is invaluable. Maybe's a nice song, but it's not the same. Not no. so hard
1: and as a as a musician, the telephone song um, mm. mm-hmm. is a highlight on the cast. It's so well written and such a hard scene to write musically to make it make sense. And I I think it's so beautiful. Um, and of course, I was o- I was always moved by this album for the orchestrations as well mm. because I feel like they're instrumental literally um literally instrumental in telling the story and the emotion through line mm-hmm. When um this is the hour hits and when that through line every time this is da da, gong, gong 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 this is the gong 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 like it's humongous every time that happens you feel like these you feel the importance and the weight mm-hmm. of the moment and all of the emotions of anger and love and Frustration and devastation And I I just feel like Musically this this show Takes me on a journey unlike Any other show And the okay. music is so timeless Because it feels like It feels like a pop style show mm-hmm. But it has such A like a Timeless vibe That the music Sounds like it could have happened A million years ago or it could have been written today mm-hmm. Uh So it's just a timeless musical for me.
0: You still didn't pick a song, though. You're weaseling out of it a little bit.
1: Oh, shut up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh,
0: Okay. I got to have something to play over the closing credits. So you got to pick something.
1: Okay. I'm going to pick the movie in my mind. Okay. Bold move. I always love Gigi Van Tram.
0: There you go. Justice for Gigi. That's what this whole hashtag justice for Gigi.
1: Justice for Gigi. Thank you, Isay Alvarez. I I said your name right.
0: There you go uh thank you so much marty this was so much fun where uh where can people find you online to keep up with what you're doing
1: well thank you for having me i my website is marty and um i'm most active on instagram at marty thomas loves you because he does most of you and <laughs> some of you right and he uh and my link three is on my instagram that leads you to my itunes and my spotify and my twitter but my Twitter, if I'm being honest, is really just to go on political rants. So don't follow me there.
0: <laughs> so so it's a Twitter, in other words.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm no fun on Twitter. I'm just angry all the time. but on Instagram I'm adorable. <laughs> that's my Jekyll and Hyde. Is Instagram is my Jekyll and
0: Twitter. is your Hyde, Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty good indication of, of where we're at social media. I
1: just change my handles. My Instagram should be Marty Thomas Jekyll. <laughs> And my Twitter should be Marty Thomas, Thomas Hyde. Hyde. Yes, I frustrate even myself. <laughs> <laughs> At 3 a.m. on Twitter, I just have so many feelings.
0: <laughs> well, it's a, yes, I can imagine. It's a very feelings-based time. I have a <laughs> lot of them myself. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Marty.
1: Thank you, my friend. Um, it's so nice to get to chat with you about something so fun, and you're such a great host. You have so many great ideas. The honor. They swear like hell, they screw like boys
0: I know there's nothing in their hearts But every time I take one in my arms
1: It starts The movie in my mind The dream
0: Seen I can't erase and in a strong jaw,
1: this life, Flee
0: this place. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at Unknown Penguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Marty Thomas for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal.